0: But if you have your Bible here today, I want to preach to you from 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're picking back up in the life of David once again. And I want to preach to you a message today entitled, A Dream Deferred. American history shall march along that skyline. So announced the sculptor, Goodson Borglum, in 1924, while he was gazing at the black hills of South Dakota. A few years later in 1927, he began chipping away those immortal images of Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson and Roosevelt on that granite face of 6,000 foot Mount Rushmore. He worked with a jackhammer and with dynamite and hired other men to help him remove some 400,000 tons of outer rock But Bruegham never saw his dream completed. He died unexpectedly in March of 1941. And so the project was left to his son Lincoln to finish the work some 14 years after it was begun. It was a dream deferred. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy promised a man on the moon... But because of an assassin's bullet, he never saw Neil Armstrong take his small step for man and giant leap for mankind. We could also say the same of Martin Luther King Jr. He never saw his I have a dream speech become a reality. If you were to open up Leonardo da Vinci's notebook, you will see blueprints for everything from flying machines to war cannons to robots that the man never got to build mostly because of the limits of technology in the late 15th century. A man whose head was filled with dreams, but those dreams had to be deferred. It's said that when Walt Disney passed in 1966, he left several projects on the drawing board, including two theme parks, one of which was Disney World in Florida, and a ski resort in California, and several other movies that never saw the big screen. For some, their dreams are bigger than their short lives afford. You remember the musings of the American poet Langston Hughes who wondered, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode What happens to a dream deferred? One of the most disappointing moments in the Christian life can be hearing God say, No. You'll remember that God had done this frequently. Moses didn't get to lead the people into the promised land. Paul was not permitted to enter into Asia in Acts 16. God told His prophet Habakkuk that God would not spare the nation from judgment that he was doing something among the nations that would even amaze the man of God. It can break our hearts to hear it, but we have to accept the reality that our Heavenly Father has final veto power in our lives. In fact, in 2 Samuel 7, King David had to let go of a dream. He wanted to do a noble thing for the Lord, but God closed the door. And the way that David responds in the pain of a dream deferred not only says a lot about his character, but it teaches us some timeless lessons that we need to adapt to our lives today of what happens when God rules and overrules, when God supersedes our dreams and desires for His sovereign will. So I'm preaching to you today, 2 Samuel 7, about this topic, A Dream Deferred. Number one, I want you to see today, David's dream announced to God. David's dream announced to God. Verse 1, Now when King David lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now David has come a long way, friend, hasn't he? He's gone from the pasture now to the palace. He's felled the giant. He's defeated the Philistines. He's run the enemy out of Jerusalem, he's brought the ark back to its resting place. And had there been pollsters in David's day, the networks would report approval ratings at an all-time high. This was the beginning of a golden era in the kingdom and in David's life. But yet, David could not rest easy because there was a dream stirring deep in his soul. We read about it there as he spoke it over with the prophet Nathan. There's one negative that that nagged the man after God's own heart. He said, how can I be comfortable living in the lap of luxury, and yet the Ark of the Covenant is dwelling in a tent? By the way, remember, the last chapter he moved that tent out of obscurity and, and back into Jerusalem as he danced, and they brought it into the city. The Old Testament picture of the presence of God among His people David wanted to honor the Lord, though. He wanted to build the Lord a house befitting of His glory. And that was his dream. In fact, if you study the Psalms, if you flip over to Psalm 132, even during David's exile years, he always had it in the back of his mind that he would build the house of the Lord. Look at what he said in Psalm 132, starting in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured... And how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids, verse 5, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now you read that to stop and I am challenged by David's dream because here's a man whose heart was sold out to the glory of God. And I ask you today, how many of you have a God-sized dream for your life or for your family or, or for your walk with the Lord? You see, the church today is in pitiful straits and many of us live a mediocre or poor life for the Lord because we don't have a dream. We don't have a heart that beats with the passion and the glory of God Let me ask you, friend, have you ever sat down with a pen and paper and wrote out a dream statement for your life? A mission statement that you articulate to the Lord and submit to the Lord and say, Lord, here's my anthem. Here's my theme. Here's what I surrender to you. I would like my life to be this. I'd like my job to be this. I'd like my family and my children and my legacy to look like this. God, here's my dream. What's your dream today? Lord, I'd like to see my family members saved. I want to take all my grandbabies to heaven with me. That's a good dream. Lord, I want to see the church grow and prosper. I've got a vision, God, that there's going to be another building and another generation. And Lord, that the church is going to have a future. God, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I want to be on the foundation of it. Lord, I'd like to get involved in missions. I'd like to get involved in in taking the gospel to the nations. Lord, uh, my dream is to adopt a kid, a a, a kid that's in a bad place with no family. And Lord, I'd love to give that kid a, a second chance. Those are all good dreams, aren't they? They're all God sized dreams. I can tell you where I was when God reached down and put a God-sized dream in the heart of this little country boy. It was just a few miles down the road. On a Sunday morning, I was 23 years old. I couldn't tell you what the preacher was talking about. I don't know what his text was, was for that day, but at Pole Creek Baptist Church at about the fifth pew on the right side, I was sitting there and God put a seed and a genesis of a dream deep inside my heart. And He told that 23-year-old, you are mine. And one day, you'll be preaching. And God gave me a God-sized dream. It wasn't my plan. It wasn't my uh, agenda. It isn't what I wanted to do with my life. But God gave me a dream. And friend, you know, when you've got a dream to do something for God, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't find rest, you obsess about it, it becomes your, your, your life's goal. I remember as a poor, a pitiful little preacher boy, a wannabe preacher, I'd read the Bible and I'd write little sermon outlines on napkins and paper towels, and I'd carry around and think about them. Oh, that's, that's dirt, that won't preach and, and I'd, I'd listen to the radio, and I'd read books, and I'd dream one day about preaching the Word of God, and I'm telling you today that God will give you a God-shaped dream, and God will fulfill it in His own way, and in His own time, and in His own plan. Brother Stan, it may not be what you want for your life, but His ways are higher, and His ways are better, and I'm thankful for a God-sized dream that the Lord put in my heart. Do you have a God-sized dream? David did. Everybody who walks with the Lord will have a God-sized vision for what they want. Friend, if you don't have a dream for the Lord, listen, you'll never grow in your faith. Your life is going to be pretty boring because getting up, going to work every day just to get on the rat race of life and put food on the table and... That gets old, amen? There has to be a greater purpose for your life and my life beyond just the nine to five. Beyond just church work and football. There has to be a God-sized dream that captivates your attention and makes your heart beat and gets you up out of bed in the morning. Do you have a God-sized dream like David did? Friend, we need a dream that's going to outlive our lives and add value to the lives of others after we're gone. Because really and truly, there's only two things that live forever. It's the souls of men and women and the Word of God. We need a dream that will take God's power and God's provision to accomplish. I love what Mark Batterson wrote about this subject. It's coming up on the screen. Look at this. He said, quote, one litmus test of spiritual maturity is whether your dreams are getting bigger or smaller. The older you get, the more faith you should have because you've experienced more of God's faithfulness. And it is God's faithfulness that increases our faith and enlarges our dreams. Nothing honors God more A big dream, and that is way beyond our ability to accomplish. Why? Because there is no way we can take credit for it. And nothing is better for our spiritual development, he said, than a big dream because it keeps us on our knees in raw dependence before God. I want a God-sized dream for my life. Don't you? We can have it. So we see that David's dream was announced to God. And that's a great thing. And we should desire it and we should articulate it. But then I want you to see how the story changes. Number two, David's dream amended by God. Remember I told you, this is a dream deferred. David wanted to do something, but God had other plans. Before David could get his royal army, drawing up blueprints. God tapped the prophet Nathan on the shoulder again. And he told Nathan, go deliver another message to the king. And basically here was Nathan's message. David, your dream is commendable. Your heart is in the right place. But you will not be the one to make it come to pass. In other words, God deferred the dream. Nathan told David that the will of god on the matter was different david he said i'm raising up a son for you and he will build the house of god not you now you don't get the full explanation here but there's a parallel passage over in first chronicles twenty two verses seven through ten and that is where later on david is explaining to his son solomon why god would not let him build the temple here's what the bible says and. David said to Solomon, My son, it is in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all the surrounding enemies. His name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. Verse 10, And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now don't take this wrong. David isn't being punished by God. David was the man after God's own heart. David is God's instrument. Without David, the nation still would have been in turmoil, living under the oppression of the Philistines. But rather, God is saying to David, David, this is an admirable goal, but it's not my will for you. My will for you is to be the king, to be the shepherd of my people. David, you're the soldier, you're the man of war, but your son, he'll be the builder. And and as you keep reading, you find out that David actually has things backwards in his thought process. David wants to build a house for the Lord, but God intervenes and says, David, I actually want to build a house for you. And he's not talking about a brick and mortar house. He's talking about a dynasty that will live forever and include the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You see, David learned that his building plans for God would intervene with God's building plans for David. Look at what verse 4 says. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places I have moved with my people Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded a shepherd? My people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you up from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him as a father and he shall be my son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him." As I took it from Psalm, who I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. What did we just read? Those verses are known in theological terms as the Davidic covenant. Just as God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, just as God made a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel in the book of Exodus when he gave them the law God is now re-establishing his covenant with his people through the king David in other words God is giving David an unconditional promise of what he is going to do through David's line number one he says I'm going to give you a great name number two There's a son who's going to be born to you. He will be the one to fulfill your dream. He will build the temple. And number three, you, David, will be the head of an everlasting dynasty. And this would begin with David's son, Solomon. And it would ultimately culminate in who? The King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. David is thinking in terms of here and now. But God comes to David and says, David, your dreams are too small. I've got something bigger. I've got something better. I've got something that's going to change the whole world. I'm sending a Savior, and He's going to be one of your descendants, David. This is why when you open the Gospels, and you read that Jesus is called the Son of David, why that's important? Because it's a messianic title that comes right from this passage here. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel goes to announce the birth of the Savior, that Mary's going to be the one to bring Christ into the world. Look at what it says. The angel said to her, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus. And watch this. He'll be great, and he'll be the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David. That's 2 Samuel 7 that we just read. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Praise God. God says to David, that's a good dream. That's a good place to start. And David, because your heart is with me and because your spirit strives after me, I'm going to allow your son to fulfill that dream for you. But oh David, I've got something bigger. I've got something grander. Something supernatural. Something mysterious that maybe you won't even be able to understand. But I'm telling you, David, there's a Savior coming and He'll be able to trace His family line and lineage through you. God's plan was just a lot bigger than a piece of real estate over in Jerusalem. It included you. It included me. Because, friend, I needed a Savior. I needed somebody who would go to the cross and die for my sin and live the life that I couldn't live and die the death that I deserved. Put yourself in David's sandals for a moment. How would you like to be told that your family would eventually and ultimately result in producing the Savior of the world? And that this Savior will be able to do what David could never do. Eventually, David's time of wearing the crown would come to an end. But the Savior, He would always wear the crown. He would rule and reign for eternity. David shed his... Uh, uh, served his people by shedding blood, but this one who was to come from David, he would save his people by shedding his own blood. David could not deliver his people from death, but the one who was coming, he would be able to burst open the tomb and come out with resurrection in his life and in his ability. Oh friend, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to you today about dreams deferred. And God said to David, David, you're not going to see this in your lifetime, I'm building something from your life that's greater than you can imagine. I'm building a dream for you, David, that's going to surpass your wildest dreams. Do we do that for God? I'm asking you today, do we let God change our dreams and desires the way that God intervened and changed the direction of David's dream? Everybody's afraid to fully surrender to God. Everybody's afraid to give God their, their dreams and their hopes and their aspirations because everybody's afraid that somehow, way, God's going to short end your life. We think that God's going to short end us. That to be in the will of God means to be miserable. That God's going to make me a mud hut missionary out in Africa somewhere. Or He's going to make me be some spinster lady who never knows love. Or that God will withhold some kind of blessing from me. We believe the lie that we think God is going to sell us short. And God came to David and said, David, this is all good. But it's small potatoes compared to what I really want to do for you. I'm trying to help you see this morning church... That we need to let God be the God of our dreams and our destinies. Friend, God can change your passion and He can meet it to align with His purpose. Do you think at age 23 I wanted to be a preacher? Listen, nobody does this job because that's what they set out on their life plan. Nobody wants to start out being a preacher. Why? I want to go be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be known in the world. I want to make money. I want to have the life that I want. But I'm thankful to God that He reached down and He shattered my dreams and He broke my expectations. See, I went to school to be a teacher. And that's great. And I love the teachers that are in our church family. We need more godly teachers. But God came to me one day And said, That's a good dream, Derek. You're just selling it too short. You're going to have students, and they're going to bite back sometimes. But I'm going to give you a different textbook, it's going to be the Word of God. And I'm thankful that God gives God sized dreams. And at the moment that we first hear it, we think, I don't know, God, I don't know if I want that. And what God can do is change your desire to align with the destiny that He has in you. Do you think Ryan or Brian or some of our other musicians who've played all over in, in, in bars and were atheists and skeptics, do you think they ever would have dreamed that they would, pr- they would praise God through their instruments right here? That's what God does. That's how God changes lives. I love you guys. I just use you as an example. But we think we actually believe that if I give my dream to God or if God amends my dream that somehow I'm going to end up unhappy. No, sir. No, ma'am. Listen to this. God gave me this. I believe it's so important for you to hear today, sometimes God will ask us to give up something we want so that He can give us something infinitely better that either we didn't think was possible or didn't have enough sense to ask for. God says, you want these temporal things, I want to give you something eternal. God says, you want the physical, I want to give you the spiritual. God says, you're looking only at what is possible through man. I want to give you something that is impossible through my divine hand. So here's how this exchange works. We submit our dream to God. God, I want to be rich. I want to make money. I don't ever want to have to want for anything. And God, I'll take that money and I'll tithe every week. I'll bid churches for you. I'll buy Bibles and send it across the world. God, you make me rich, and I'll do something for you. You know what God says? God says, no, my destiny is for you to struggle, and for you to be poor, and for you to work. Why? Because I want to teach you faith. Now, which is greater? Having a million bucks in the bank account or having faith? We say, God, I, I, I want to be healed so I can serve you fully. God, I've got a sick body. God, I've been touched by infirmity and I can't serve you to the fullness of my capacity unless you make me healthy. You know what God says? God says, no. I think people can see my glory made perfect through weakness in a broken vessel. And I'm going to use a broken vessel to deliver my grace and my gospel to a broken world so that they can see that God works through broken people. Every preacher says this, God, I want to preach in front of hundreds and thousands. God, you just let me be Billy Graham and I'll set the world on fire for you. God, that's a godly dream. And you know what God says? God says to that pitiful preacher, No, I'm going to put you in a small church. I'm going to put you with regular people. Why? Why? so that you will learn that ministry is about getting involved in the lives of people so that ministry is about rubbing elbows with sheep and ministry is about the dirty things in life and helping people pray through and preaching the Word of God when you don't feel like it and helping people by the graveside and when they're sick and they can't hold their head up. I'm going to teach you what it's really like to be a shepherd. So don't ask me to preach for thousands and millions because you would miss out on the blessings of shepherding precious people people for my glory we don't have enough sense to understand that the dreams that we want are so small compared to the fulfillment that God really wants to give us women say this all the time women I'm not picking on you but this is the message of our culture I want to be a career woman I can have a career and raise a family you know what that really means you work three times as hard you go and you work your nine to five and then you come home and you still have to do the dishes, wash the clothes, put the kids to bed, and do all the housework as well. How's that for liberating? That's the lie that the devil has sold our culture. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on women who have to work. I get that. I'm talking about the lie that we believe. God, I want to I be a career woman and you know what God oftentimes says to that woman? No, I have something greater for you. You see, you have children, and you're going to raise up the next generation who's going to be the leaders, who's going to be the missionaries and the doctors and the lawyers and the people in our world for the next generation. What could be more important than that? We think God is going to shortchange us on our dreams. But I'm telling you that God doesn't do it halfway. That God doesn't leave unfulfilled desires, that God can show you and do things that beyond what you could think or imagine. What do we take away from all this? There's three principles. I want you to see today very quickly as I close. When God prohibits a dream, we can still praise Him for our blessings. Amen? God said no to David. And yet, David praised God. Look at what verse 18 says. And then David went in and sat before the Lord. He said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. Look at what verse 22 says. Therefore you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears David had church God said no David my plan is different for you and David praised God that he was included in the plan because friend I've got news God doesn't need me God doesn't need you I'm just thankful that I have a little part to play in the grand story and in the big scheme of what God's doing through his people and through his church oh God doesn't need me he could have called anybody. To preach to you today, but He appointed me from the foundations of the world. Just a little 23-year-old country boy, scared, didn't know what life was about, had no answers, but God reached down and plucked me out of all the human race. Oh, I get so excited about it. I'm telling you, it wasn't my dream. It was God's dream, and He gave it to me, and if I had a hundred do-overs in my life, I wouldn't change I'd marry that woman every time and I'd say yes to God's dream and preach this Bible with everything that is within me hey I don't hang my head God didn't sell me short I didn't get the short end of the stick from God He's blessed me beyond what I can think or imagine you tell me How you could come to this church service and feel the anointing and the Spirit of God. You talk about all the people that have been saved and baptized. You think I regret the decision to give my dreams over to God and say, God, have your will and your way. Oh my God. Do you have a God-sized dream, friend? Surrender it to the Lord. And he'll do abundantly beyond what you can think or ask. When God prohibits a dream, listen, it's because he's permitting something better. David didn't realize that until he had his praise and worship service. Think of it, David's dream was good. But in the big scheme of things, it's small potatoes compared to what God really wanted to do sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is for us to realize that our dreams are too small. And God is so much bigger and so much greater than we ever thought. And so when God prohibits a dream, it's because He's permitting something better. If we were to get our way, and some of our dreams were to become a reality, we would be on the short end of the stick. I'm glad there was a hundred times God didn't let me get my way. I'm glad there was a hundred times that God busted in on my life and turned the tables over in my plans and said, no, no, no. This isn't what I have for you. Amen? Sometimes the greatest blessing is when God says no. The poet said this, disappointment Is his appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. Perhaps, friend, our dreams are too small. Now, Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, a God sized dream is something that's impossible unless He's in it. And that's where I want to be. I want to be in the impossible. Want to see God do things that he's never done before. Lastly, and I finish with this: when God prohibits a dream, it doesn't mean rejection but redirection. You see that? When God prohibits a dream, it doesn't mean rejection, it just means redirection. You keep reading in this text, what you'll discover is that even though David would not have the privilege of building the temple, David made up his mighty purpose in his heart that he was going to do everything within his power to assemble all that was needed so that his son Solomon could build the temple. So David set out on a material hunting expedition. He brought in the cedars from Lebanon. He brought in the workers. He found the quarry. He got the silver and the gold. David did everything that he could humanly do because he knew that he was going to hand that over to his son. And he said if I can't build it, I'm going to do the grunt work so that he can do it. And I'm setting him up for success, because this thing's going beyond my generation. If I move off the reservation, God's still moving forward. God's still calling people. God's still saving souls. And I'm going to leave something behind that's going to make it easier for the next generation to build on my life. You may not be able to build a new church, but we can give for the future. You may not be able to preach or go to the mission field, but you can do the groundwork by giving so others can. Friend, you may not see loved ones saved in your lifetime, but you know what you can do? You can start praying for them right now. And I got news for you they won't be able to outrun the prayers of God's people. And sometimes we don't understand it, but those prayers can go way off into the future and even affect those people that we are praying for in the present. I was reminded of this, Miss Janice. A couple of weeks ago. How many of you, you remember our Valentine's banquet just a couple weeks ago? I had to stand in that auditorium and give God praise. Because as I looked around that, that old gym up on the wall, you know what there was hanging on the wall? Sound baffling panels. Janice knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about her husband, Ken Singleton, who passed away a few years ago. God gave that man a dream. A lot of the things that we're doing right now was his dream. Wednesday night meals. Live praise and worship. Services over in the gym. That was Ken Singleton's dream. He didn't, get, he didn't live long enough according to God's will for him to see all that. But I remember one summer, he got it within him. He said, Brother Derek, we've got to put up sound panels in the gym. And I said, Ken, how much is that going to cost? And he told me, I said, I don't know, brother. He said, get out of the way, let me do it. (laughs) Amen. This is the guy who moved the piano up and down the stairs by himself. No joke. He said, Derek, get out of the way, let me do this. This is a God dream. I said, what do you mean, Ken? Ken. He said, we need to have this place prepared because one day we're going to need this auditorium, this gym, to have church in. I said, okay, Ken. So he got all of those sound panels and he got up on a lift by himself and he hung every single one of those around the gym. And two weeks ago, I preached a simple gospel message... And one person responded and got gloriously saved. And I looked up and I saw the sand panels there. And I thought, that's the dream of Ken Singleton adding to the fruit of our ministry today. He believed something that I didn't have vision for. He acted upon it. And God gets the glory. And the church goes forward. And we're in a better position now than when we were before. That's a God-sized dream. The work of the past generation touches the lives of the future generation. That's the God sized dream. Friend, a dream deferred doesn't mean a dream denied. It just means, according to God's will, pleasure, sovereignty, and purpose, I need to recognize I may not live to see my dreams fulfilled, Brother Lucas but I can plow up hard ground so that the generation behind me can sow in that seed and they can sit under a tree that they didn't plant and they can reap a harvest that they didn't work for and that they can enjoy the benefits and the glory of God. Why? Because God gave me a dream and just as God gave me a dream, He's going to give them a dream and it's going to go on into the future until God sees fit to call His people home. Elise had a song for us this morning. I'm going to ask if she would come and sing that. Maybe you need to respond to this message. God's already moved in this place. Maybe the message has spoken to you. Can we stand this morning as Elise sings? I know you won't know the song, but just be sensitive to the moment. If you need to respond today, you can come forward. Maybe somebody needs to be saved. Maybe somebody wants to join the church. Maybe you need to come forward and say, Derek, I need to give a testimony. I can't stay silent anymore about what God's done in my life. We'll give you the opportunity to do that. Listen as Elise sings to us. If you can remain in a spirit of